How rightful it is to consider praising the Lord. That song that we just sang, the three verses, many of those words taken identically from the 148th Psalm, in which we are admonished, encouraged, and ever to be ready to praise the Lord. Today, aren't we blessed to be able to assemble as we are this morning? The appreciation of the goodness that God has bestowed upon each of us to permit us the blessing, the opportunity, and yea, the grandeur of gathering this morning on this occasion in this way. You might have noted as you gave thought to what was printed in the bulletin that the title of the lesson today is Thankfulness. And the text that was just read for us a moment ago by Brother Jeff, taken from Ephesians 5.20, will be a text that we will give some consideration to a bit later in the lesson. As we make preparation, though, for giving thought to not only this Thanksgiving season of the year, but also, of course, more dramatically than that, some thoughts from the Word of God about Thanksgiving will be the consideration for us this morning. In fact, might I ask you to direct your attention to, with me, in the following order of events. First of all, this is a time of the year when I suspect many have had the blessed opportunity to reflect upon what they have been blessed with physically, perhaps as they bountifully gave note of what was on a table a few days ago. And indeed, that is truly a grand gift and blessing from God. But as we give consideration to all those things, might we notice that the enjoyment that associates with it, the family and friends we enjoy being together with, all of that should lead us to notice that for the Christian, for that person who's interested in being godly, Thanksgiving is far more than just a one-time-of-year event, isn't it? It should be an ongoing activity. Thankfulness should be a way of life. Not just one day, but yea, every day. In fact, there are many things about Thanksgiving that should give consideration to us this morning. And we'll notice five lessons. But I thought a couple of quotes might be appropriate as we begin the lesson this morning. This initial quotation reads as follows. The unthankful heart discovers no mercies, but let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessings. An uninspired man. As you can see, Henry Beecher, in fact, wrote that. Another quotation, much older, in fact. He is a wise man who does not grieve for the things which he has not but rejoices for those which he has. That written by Epictetus, an ancient Greek philosopher, both of which I suspect can bring us some thoughts about how blessed we each are physically. But what about some spiritual blessings, some things drawn from the Word of God that may in fact help us appreciate more critically and more profoundly some of the ways that thanksgiving should be a ready and ever-present part of our lives. It is with those in mind that let's look at our first lesson. I have placed it in the following way. It's the first title, the first statement at the top. The result of God's bountiful provision. If we were to ask, why should we be thankful? I suspect many of us could offer one or perhaps two reasons. We will look at more than just one or two this morning, but here is our first one. Why should I be thankful? Why should thanksgiving be a part of your life? First of all, consider the result of God's bounty to each and every one of us. We might well begin in 2 Corinthians 9, 11, 
When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth on that occasion, he said, being enriched in everything. To what end, Paul? That ye may abound in thanksgiving unto God. You'll notice that the thanksgiving that you and I, in fact, share and experience, in one sense, is a direct product and consequence of just how good that God has been to each of us. That goodness experienced in so many ways, some of which those necessities of life, the food we enjoy, the clothes that we're able to wear, the roof that's over our head, the opportunity we have to earn a living by God's blessing to provide for those that we love. That is one of the blessings of God. Isn't it true in James 1.17, the inspired writer wrote, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Those provisions, those good blessings of God, do you and I think as often as we should about the source of all of those things? In fact, might we even go a step further than that? Those physical necessities are one thing indeed. But isn't it true that God has given us many other things which though they may not be necessities in life, nonetheless add an aesthetic richness, a beauty that makes this world such a lovely place for us to now dwell? Think about the perception of color. You and I can look upon the beauty that surrounds us as it has in the last few days and see the blue above us the green around us, the cedar trees still maintaining their pristine color of richness. Isn't it amazing to know God gave us that ability and He allows us to enjoy it richly and can we not appreciate that? If this world is described in colorful and vivid ways like that, what must heaven be like? What must that golden street and strand of glory be for those that are His beloved and faithful children? You'll notice even further that those matters taken from 2 Corinthians 9-11, I've asked you to notice that the word that's translated causeth in that verse really means to produce. Causeth in us thanksgiving to God. When you and I see what God has blessed us with, it should in its rightness result in thanksgiving on our part. It is an insult to God if we take His blessings and give Him no credit for it. If we take His blessings but in fact honor Him with no thanksgiving, it does cause us to reflect, does it, on just how important it is to be thankful. Is it not true at this point we might remember that in Luke 17, there was one occasion when in fact ten lepers came before our Master and the Lord healed them as in fact they were sent on their way toward the proper place of making note to the priest, the respective sacrifices. Might we never forget that only one returned to show His thanksgiving. Only one returned to express thanks to the Lord for removing this terrible disease of leprosy. And the Lord asked the haunting question, Where are the nine? Did the Lord take note that there was only one thankful of the bunch? He certainly did. And today He takes note when you and I fail to be as thankful as we ought to be. When we, in fact, more give than we offer thanksgiving to what He has, in fact, expressed to us. Just as surely as He asked, where are the nine? May you and I not forget today to be one of those who are in that number to express thanksgiving and appreciation to the God of heaven.
in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3. On that occasion, it was the fact that Paul even reprimanded and stated that those who refuse to, in thanksgiving, receive God's blessings and employ them rightly, they are in fact in error. You and I, thus would seem, when we refuse to offer God thanksgiving, when we refuse to honor Him and even forbid those good things He has granted us, we do error. There, the specific reference is that there were some people forbidding certain meats. Paul said these were meant by God to be received with thanksgiving, and those who nonetheless are commanding to abstain from these things are in error. Today, as we give thought to what God has made, what He has provided for the human family, that which He has allowed us to not only utilize, but to do so in a myriad of ways, first, may we ever do so to His glory, not using these things to hurt or to harm, but to ever appreciate that if we forbid that which He has commanded to be used with thanksgiving, we thus are guilty of error. Thanksgiving to God prompted, you see, in this first lesson today by the character of all that He has given and done for us. But it's lesson number two. In addition to that, might we also note that the Scriptures teach much about the way in which we should and must approach God. Let's in fact be a bit more careful about the way in which we state that. Taken from the 100th Psalm, verse number 4, we begin to notice interestingly the following statement. Listen to this commandment, if you would, with me, to those people under the Old Testament regime. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. The verse isn't finished. It goes on to say, be thankful and praise His holy name. As you and I then praise His name, and we do so with thankfulness, you'll notice that the verse began, enter into His gates with thanksgiving. That is the way in which one should rightly and properly approach the Savior and the Master, to do so with thanksgiving, not doing so as only a taker, but to appreciate that He has been so very good to us. And we thus are commanded to approach Him with an attitude and mindset, filled in fact with thanksgiving. In fact, think of it in the following way. Isn't it interesting how often you and I may be tempted to come before God because we want something, because we feel as if we need something, because our life currently is experiencing hardship and we want relief. And so we are quick to turn to the Master then. We're quick to beseech Him, God, I need, I want, I deserve, give me. When all the while we're told here, enter His courts, enter His gates with thanksgiving. Do we make thanksgiving a critical part of our communication in prayer? Do we make it a common part of our daily walk with Him? We are commanded to be thankful, aren't we? You'll notice furthermore we notice in passages like these. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 7, the children of Israel were reminded time and again how that they were never to forget as they entered that land flowing with milk and honey, as they entered that land where there were wells there that they didn't dig, there were vineyards there that they didn't plant, there were other blessings of that land that they did not in fact present. God presented it. They were merely blessed with being the recipients and those who could rightfully 
and properly make use of it. Might you and I consider that that good land of which the children of Israel were blessed perhaps reminds us of the land that you and I are blessed with. Arguably the most blessed land on earth in terms of its natural resources, in terms of that which its citizenry is able to enjoy, you and I live in it. Are we as thankful as perhaps we might be? Ever thankful for this place in which you and I can live in such blessedness, bounty, and comfort? It might be noted in light of all of that in Matthew 19, verse 17, as well as Psalm 52, 1. The two following statements in essence are made. The Lord is good. I suspect many of us in our lives can testify to that. Think what might have been in your life and mine if we had not been exposed to, experienced with, and turned our life in the direction of the goodness that God has brought us. That goodness perhaps only leads us to notice point number three. We've just noted, haven't we? That in these first two lessons, God's blessings prompt us to be thankful. And we should approach God in that way with thanksgiving. But here's a third lesson. One that sometimes is easier for us to forget. It is in the attitude of thanksgiving that we magnify the name of God. Might I invite you to notice Psalm 69 verse 30. In the ancient day of the long past, we are expressly reminded and told that in that era and in that time... It was true that we magnify God's name with and by our thanksgiving. If thus you and I refuse to be thankful, if we live a life without that thanksgiving, we are withholding some of the glory and magnification that the name of God so richly deserves. Consider some of these points if you would. In Psalm 34 verse 3, David exclaimed, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. When others see your life and mine, are they able to witness and observe one whose life is a magnification of that which is the will of God? You and I should live that way, where what we say, what we do, what we think should be, that which upholds His will in every regard, the direction of that glory to His name and honor is an appropriate and a right thing. In addition to that, you'll notice that some of the things in the Scriptures challenge us in this way. What do others see in your life and mine if we're unthankful? They see a person who you see is not as mindful as he or she ought to be of the source of all those blessings, both physically and spiritually. For it still is true, isn't it, that the greatest of God's blessings to us lie in that spiritual realm. All spiritual blessings are found in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. Where would we be without the forgiveness of sins? Where would we be without the church of our Lord? Where would we be without the gospel plan of salvation? Where would we be without the truth and thoroughness of the Word of God? Where would we be without the hope of heaven? And yet every one of them is a grand and magnificent blessing that God has allowed us to not only appreciate, but to implement in our life. And yet to forsake it, to ignore it, to neglect it, to be unthankful for it, speaks so much about us because it speaks of how ingracious we are. It speaks of how unmindful we are of truly how great God has been. 
God is good. Psalm 52, 1. And that goodness is expressed to us in these spiritual ways so beautifully and also so powerfully. There's an example in the life of David in the Old Testament that does say a bit about this very point in our lesson this morning. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we notice in the very outset of that chapter that God delivers to David one of the greatest promises to be found anywhere in the Old Testament. He promises that of his house will come a great kingdom, a great nation. And of course, he looks down the stream of time to the coming of the Messiah through the lineage of David. And that great kingdom, of course, would be the church. David realized how great a promise that was, and he poured out his heart in thanksgiving, recognizing and honoring God who was the source of that and the magnification to God's name available there through. Should there be in principle any less in our life today? For it's still true that you and I live under the gospel regime, not under that law of Moses. And wasn't it true in Matthew eleven eleven that Jesus said, He that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. We are so blessed spiritually. One of the ways we show that, of course, is by the constant and steadfast life that we live in faithfulness. Tomorrow, do we live a life of thanksgiving to God? What about Tuesday? Does what we learned on Sunday wear off by the time we get to Saturday? We should be mindful every day of the week of just how special and how great God has been to each of us, and we should magnify His name in a constant attitude of thankfulness. As you notice near the bottom of that, that's one of the motivations, isn't it, for our singing. We've been led in these beautiful hymns that we have so collectively sung this morning. And one of the reasons as to why singing is a part of our worship and one of the reasons why that we are prompted to lift up our voices in song is because of thanksgiving. I'd invite you to notice Psalm 147, verse 7. In song we express thanksgiving. Nehemiah did that, didn't he? In Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 46. As we learn in the New Testament, that text, again, that Brother Jeff read earlier, we are often so familiar with verse 19 of Ephesians 5. It's a verse that is so familiar, and in it we read, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That challenges and reminds us to sing, and to do so heart heartfully, recognizing that from the heart is the expression of that which God has commanded musically in worship. But notice verse 20 is the very next expression. And now it mentions thanksgiving. It is in song that we express in such a lovely way those thoughts of thanksgiving that reside in our heart. If we're thankful, we'll want to sing. And if we're thankful to God, we'll find no greater way to express it than when we open our mouth and express by virtue of our lips the beautiful expressions in our heart. No wonder then when we sing in that regard, it brings us also to this fourth lesson, this fourth point today. You'll notice near the bottom, we each expected at some point that our thanksgiving would be expressed in prayer. And how often we find that very idea contained in the Word of God. The opening expression, in fact, is this one. 
It is not the only way that we express thanksgiving to God, but it certainly is one way. Our prayer life. What do we utter in our prayers? We did mention it earlier, didn't we, in a sense. Are we more likely and more apt to just ask God, God, give me this and give me that. I'm hurting and I'm sick and I'm downtrodden and I'm weary. Lord, help me. That's an appropriate prayer. But should it not be tempered with thanksgiving? God, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for the gift of your son, 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thank you for the gospel and for the church. Thank you that I have that way in which my sins can be remitted. Isn't it amazing that thanksgiving was such a frequent part of Paul's prayer life? Have we noticed as we look into the letters written by Paul, how in every one of them near the outset of that letter he's thankful. Thankful for the brethren in Philippi. Thankful for the brethren in Corinth. Thankful for the steadfastness of the Thessalonians. Thankful for the fervency and love found in Timothy. Thankful for the steadfast prayers of the brethren in Ephesus. And on and on the list goes. Though Paul in many instances when he wrote those letters found himself in prison, found himself in dire circumstances and yet shining through like a ray and a beacon of light is the matter of his thanksgiving unto God. Doesn't that remind us that even ourselves in prayer should be often the one making mention of thanksgiving? Consider with me some of these ideas if you would. In Nehemiah 11, verse 17, again, from the life of that ancient nobleman, that man Nehemiah, we find even in his life that because he was thankful, he was found in prayer unto God. If we are thankful, will it not find its way also into our prayer? We remember that Jesus, as He gave that model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, he began that prayer in the following way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And if we pause at that point, we notice initially that there was a focus and an emphasis upon lauding and appreciating the greatness of God. That was in essence the first entire section of the prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It is far more initially an emphasis upon His greatness and upon His will than upon ours. But, but the inspired writer continued, Jesus did. He went on to this notice, Give us this day our daily bread, a petition and a plea for God's continued sustenance and blessing upon us. But notice, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We find in the, all of that an appreciation of the highness of God's will and our humbleness in receiving of those blessings. But then the latter part of Matthew's account of that, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We find in all of that an attitude, an appreciation of thanksgiving. As we give some thought to all of that, notice yet another example. We've highlighted, certainly in the Bible study class as it related to our language, but also in our lesson earlier this morning, in regard to the carefulness with which our life must be lived. 
there's an unforgettable statement in Colossians 4.2. It is in prayer that you and I are allowed to live watchfully. It is still true, isn't it, that life is so often a means by which we encounter those things that will cause us in temptation to sin. No wonder we ever need to be watchful, alert, ever vigilant and mindful. And yet in prayer, the inspired writer tells us, is one of the ways in which that watchfulness will come. When we pray, remember what it was? Keep us from the evil one, Ephesians 6. Verses 11 to 18. Keep us from the evil one. When we urgently, powerfully, profoundly pray unto God that He will allow us with clear vision to see the temptation set before us by the evil one. God has heard those prayers and He will aid in the, in the answering of them. For we still remember, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. In those regards, then, may we not in watchfulness be thankful in our prayer life? We should be, we must be. And as if that isn't enough, perhaps the text that has no doubt jumped to some of our minds already. Philippians 4, verse number 6. This is a text fraught with such meaning, filled with such emphasis, so direct and yet so powerful. In that particular passage we read, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You'll notice that we have at the outset of that verse an amazing teaching. And oh, how much it's needed today. Be careful for nothing. If we can put that in words of our day, be not worrisome over anything. We live in a world that's so encumbered with worry, anxiety. People frenetically go about so concerned and worried over this, that, and the other. Paul said, don't be worried. But in everything with prayer and supplication... How? With thanksgiving. Do what? Let your requests be made known unto God. You see, when you and I are thus that kind of individual, who in open and honest supplication in prayer, with an attitude of thanksgiving, approaches the God of heaven, he or she will understand God will answer that prayer. He will provide as He has promised. And in so doing, it allows those worries of life to be removed from us. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it truly astounding to see how that in the Scriptures we find an anecdote to the very matter of worry that so troubles and enrages the world about us? Be careful for nothing. That doesn't mean we are not to, in fact, make preparation. It doesn't mean we are not, in fact, to live a life in respect of God's blessings, making good use of them. But in terms of that kind of worry that the world is so often guilty of, that has no place in the life of the one trustworthy in the God of heaven. For He has promised in Matthew 6 to meet the necessities of our life. Food, shelter, raiment, those kinds of things, He says, I'll provide you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things, He wrote, shall be provided unto you. It is with those things in mind that it brings us to the fifth and final lesson of our time this morning. An appreciation of the following. 
the matter of the accompaniment of faith that thanksgiving is. I say that interestingly based on the following passage. In Colossians 2 verse 7, we each are able to read this rather remarkable statement. The first part of the verse is perhaps familiar, but it's the latter part that I would ask you to notice with me. Let's read the entire verse. Rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Abounding in what? That faith that you've been taught. So as individuals of faith... Paul thus writes for us that thanksgiving is a necessary accompaniment. It is a necessary matter that accompanies and goes with that matter of faith. If we are a person of faith, then we will be thankful. We'll be thankful for some of those matters we've so much enjoyed as we've mentioned them in the lesson this morning. Those physical blessings in life and, yea, those spiritual ones as well. Again, rooted and built up in Him... The word Him refers to Christ. That is a pronoun leading us to the nature of Christ as a subject of this context. Rooted and built up in Him. Our roots ought to run deep in Jesus. And as our roots run deep, He says, established in the faith. Our desire as we seek to grow and mature, it shouldn't be satisfactory to us to just remain in the shallow waters of religion. That won't do. We're commanded in Luke 5, 1 to launch out into the deep. We're commanded in Hebrews 5, 12 to Hebrews 6, 1 to in fact go on into perfection. One of the reasons we do that is because we've been prompted in faith to be thankful. And we desire to learn more and more of what God has made available to us. And we desire to be established in that faith that you and I have been taught. Thankful for our Bible teachers thankful for parents and others who have set before us an example of Christ and who have urged us to be mindful of the truth and to live in accordance to it. But as we're thankful for them and for that faith bequeathed unto us, you'll notice here that is to be accompanied by thanksgiving. Thankful for that faith that we enjoy. How thankful are you for the faith that is made available to you? To this point in life, have you ignored it, rebelled against it, taking no interest in it? If so, you have yet to in fact understand that degree of faith and to this point your unthankfulness is a testimony to your rebellion against God. But upon your obedience to the Master, when you in fact will walk down an aisle with the understanding that you are a sinner, one who is lost and undone before the eyes of God and who desires based on His gift by virtue of the Christ to know the forgiveness of sin, to appreciate in thanksgiving what He has done for you. You can begin to live that life of thanksgiving openly, fervently, honestly, and directly, and to do so in such a way that you will be a standout individual, showing to the world the kind of thanksgiving that you ought to have. Today, as we each analyze our lives, where do you stand and where do I stand? Is your life a life of thanksgiving as it ought to be? In summary, we can review these five points the following way and use them to lead into our invitation. You'll notice as I've tried to summarize them, we can highlight God's provision, how good He has been, not just two days ago or three days ago on the Thanksgiving holiday, but yea, every day of the year. 
And furthermore, how that we can appreciate that we must approach God in thanksgiving. It is also through that thoroughfare that we magnify His name. Fourthly, we may note of the interesting lesson that our prayer should include thanksgiving. And finally, the notion that our faith must be accompanied by it. Today, if we need to be recharged in thanksgiving, let that occur. If there has been an interest in your life, a failure if you please, to be thankful and it's been of a private nature, humbly petition the God of heaven. With that failure, He will forgive and remove that. But if it's been of a public character, others are aware of your lack of thanksgiving. They've seen it. Maybe you have been derelict in your attendance. Certainly others take note when you aren't here. For it's only in our attendance we learn in Hebrews 10 that we're able, in fact, to exhort brethren. If we aren't here, we can't exhort anyone to that which is good when it comes to those Bible study classes, those matters related to our worship services. Perhaps that or other matters encumber your life and others can see that you aren't thankful. You're taking the gift of God. In fact, you're taking it for granted. Today, don't let that continue, for we've just seen faith accompanies thanksgiving. If you aren't thankful, you're not a person of faith, as you should be. You're an individual who, to this point, has not launched out into the deep waters of appreciation of Christianity. Jesus died on a cross about 20 centuries ago. He did so, shedding His blood for you and for me. Since all spiritual blessings are in Jesus, why delay today? If you've never named the sweet name of Jesus as the Son of God initially, why not today? This 28th of November, 2010, what a day in all eternity it could be for you. If we could assist you, realize the Lord makes this demand. You must believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You must repent of your sins. You must confess His name audibly in the hearing of others as the Son of God. And you must be baptized for the remission of sins. Upon so doing, Christ adds you to the church. You then have access to all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1.3, and thanksgiving can abound in your heart day by day. If you have done that but have not been faithful, have not been thankful, perhaps at once you were thankful but you no longer are. Christianity has just become a habit. It's a ritual. Just go to services a couple of times a week. God demand, demands and expects more than that. It must be something that is every day, every moment of every day. For we must be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And today, if we could pray for your rededication, forgiveness of sin, we'd be honored to do that with you and for you. If we can help, why not let us know in what way we can do that while together we stand and while we sing.